same name, different movies. We're talking Spellbound and Spellbound on episode 121 of Have You Seen? Surprise! It's not meant to be a show this week, but we've got one anyway. Um, It's one of those weird Skype shows where I am Kieran Lefort somewhere in Hertfordshire and then way, way away on the end of the internet uh, is Tom Webb somewhere in Essex. Hello. Yeah, my trip got pushed back. I am actually supposed to be in bed and jet-lagged right now, having come back from China, but I'm not because I don't actually leave for, as we record this, another two days. So... We thought we'd squeeze in a surprise show, and then we'll do another one when I get back. And then hopefully, we'll be back to a week between shows. Yeah, should should be, yeah. Um, This week, as you heard in my amazingly delivered intro, uh, we will be doing Spellbound, the 1947 Hitchcock film, uh, and Spellbound, the 2002 documentary about an American spelling bee. Not a bee that spells. It's some kind of weird competition for Americans I don't understand. Yeah. Um, Everything's a competition for Americans. Yes, you pointed that out last week. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Before all that, though, uh, we have news. Exciting sort of podcast-related news. Um, We have previously alluded to the fact that in February we shot a short film. Um, We decided... It's now complete, by the way. uh, And we decided that it would be a Have You Seen production to kind of link it to this podcast. And we thought that because you are nice, lovely, loyal listeners uh, who occasionally uh, write to us as well, um, we would let you see it first. So um, stay tuned till the end of the show when we will give you an exclusive link where Mm -hmm. you and only you can watch the film uh, for... It's probably going to be a week or two weeks before it gets released to the public. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a nice little window of exclusivity. Yes. That probably has some kind of marketing term, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, window of exclusivity is very close. Yeah. But I think there's probably something, some little twist on that. that Yeah. Some kind of marketing knob in his loafers and his... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Overly expensive suit that he actually bought in a Burton sale. Yeah, beard Uh, and top knot. Yes, exactly. Oh, God, I saw one of those guys the other night. (laughs) Dressed exactly like that as well. Um, So, should we move on to the films? Uh, yes, yes, we should. Uh, and uh, we'll come back to our film yes. at the end of the show. Yes. Uh, we should probably tell people what it's about and stuff. We'll do that at the end. Yeah, yeah. We'll, 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 you know, there is a film. You are going to be able to watch it, but you've got to wait to find out what it is and yeah. how to watch it. Yeah. So don't just hit fast forward. Please listen to the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, perhaps we should give out one letter of the link like every minute during the, <laughs> during the podcast so you don't get it all unless you listen to the whole show. Anyway, uh, we're going to tackle these in chronological order. So, mm-hmm. Tom, why don't you remind everybody what Spellbound is all about? Yeah, so Spellbound is um, a classic Hitchcock thriller. Um, it's set in a, uh, what well, I suppose what you would call term at the time, a mental institution. It's a, it's a place where... Uh, people with mental illness go to to be analysed and, and helped. Um, it was one of the first movies to have its plot centre around psychoanalysis and psychiatry and psychology. Um, the 
basic premise is the the head of the institute is leaving and he is being replaced. Um, he's replaced by uh, the young dashing Gregory Peck, uh, but resident um, psycho is she a psychologist or psychiatrist? I think she's a psychiatrist. Uh, resident psychiatrist. Um, I believe they actually use the term psychoanalyst. In psychoanalyst, the yeah, maybe they do actually. Uh, is played by. Um, in fact, they do because there's a hilarious line of dialogue that I wrote down that includes right, okay, the, the word psychoanalyst. Yeah, well, one of the lead psychoanalysts is Ingrid Bergman, and uh, she suspects something's not quite right with this new guy that's that's turned up, and kind of things sort of spiral out of control from there. Um. It, I I, th- I thought it was kind of interesting uh, that it, it in a way it kind of feels like it's been gender swapped because you would I would think you would normally cast the Ingrid Bergman character as a man. Yes, yeah, I kind of felt that way as well. Um, so Especially for the time, yes, that's why. So it kind of. It, on one hand, it feels quite progressive, but then the way she's treated by her peers. It is yeah, quite of its couple, time. We'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about those moments. I think. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a bit of a, an interesting uh, look at the the changes in attitude towards uh, women in professions that have been had been traditionally dominated by men by that point. So I, I think that's kind of an interesting angle to it. But then it's also got um, you know your typical kind of Hitchcock thriller plot there are trains there's always trains in a hitchcock and there's all uh there's also um a dream sequence that was kind of inspired and created by salvador dali so it's got a few kind of um a few kind of little milestone things going for it i think this movie yes um overall i enjoyed it right um it is the weirdest film yeah. Some of it is just utterly bizarre. And I'm not even talking about the Dali scene. No, no. It's kind of um, a, a weird concept. Yeah. Some of it is brilliant. Mm. Some of it is absolutely terrible. Mm. But it's very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, if it was made today, though, it would be laughed out of cinemas. Yeah, I don't think... It's so... The, some of it is just so preposterous. Yes. And I think that's because they could get away with it because psychoanalysis was kind of in its... I'm not, not in even, its infancy, well, but it's, it was kind of it wasn't in the public realm so mu- as much as it is now. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but there's just some there's some amazing leaps in the script. Yeah, that you like if if it was in like a modern movie and this was good God, let's just pick two people out of thin air: George Clooney and Catherine Zeta Jones. Right. I don't know why I picked those two. No. Um, Have you been watching you just, Intolerable Cruelty? No, I haven't. But, oh, they're in that together, aren't they? Yeah. No, that's probably the one Coen Brothers film I won't watch. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it either. Um, you, but any pick any two people. Yeah. You'd just be going, oh, fuck, right off. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we should start at the beginning, to be honest. Yeah. And I mean the very beginning. Mm-hmm. The, the Selznick International credit. Yes. At the beginning mm-hmm. is a picture, is a camera shot of a wooden sign that says a Selznick International picture, mm-hmm. tilt down to reveal the Selznick International studio building. Yes. 
there's nothing like showing off your your grandeur is there no there is um displaying the toys (laughs) yeah yeah he was uh i think uh selznick and hitchcock had quite a rocky relationship yes i think they were very um they realized they could do good business together yeah uh personally they were not friendly no um i was impressed that there was a um a credit for a psychiatric advisor at the beginning. Right. Um, I was amazed they had one. Mm. Not I, and, and I wrote that before I saw the film. Yeah. Because um, I, I would think, especially at that time, someone, one of my neighbours is doing the hoovering. That's nice. <laughs> um, especially at that time, I would think they wouldn't bother. They'd just write what they thought was right and jump into it. Yeah, I guess. So it's good that there was somebody kind kind of steering that. Yeah, I think part of the trouble watching it now is that a lot of the a lot of the ideas and techniques that they use have kind of been discredited or at least evolved. Yeah. So it's kind of uh, it kind of doesn't sit right, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I guess you could say that. Uh, for example, if this was a film about miners, their equipment would have yeah, evolved. Of course, and that's yeah. like, yeah. you're essentially talking about the equipment of the psychoanalyst. That's there. true, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a brilliant line. There's At the beginning, there's a uh, text ex- basically explaining what psychiatry and psychoanalysm yeah. is. Um, and it ends with the brilliant line, the devils of unreason are driven from the human soul. <laughs> yeah. Nothing like a bit of melodrama. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> Towards we get you, the first patient you see mm. is a woman called Mary. Yeah. Who's playing poker and she's kind of, she likes hitting on all the guys, mm. but doesn't seem to like their attention. Yeah. Um, who is, oh, she's overacting like crazy for a start. Yeah. Uh, but not as much as Gregory Peck does later. No. Um, that actress yeah. is still alive. Really? Yep. She's 92. Wow. She's still going. Amazing. I thought uh, that, that was also quite interesting that because she, she kind of portrays herself as quite kind of I suppose sort of promiscuous and and uh, yes. it's a it's a very sexualized character yeah yeah which again you wouldn't have thought you'd get away with in the the forties talking of things that you really shouldn't be able to get away with yeah um there's the one of the doctors I called him Doctor Mustache because I couldn't remember his name right um. He comes into uh, Ingrid Bergman plays Doctor Peterson. Yeah, uh, and he comes into her office, and he's effectively like analysing her while she's sitting at her desk doing paperwork. Mm. And then he just kind of grabs her and kisses her. Yeah, yeah. And I was confused for a good ten minutes until Gregory Peck turned up, mm. and actually, even after he turned up, I couldn't work out like if they were together or if that was just extreme office harassment. I think I think basically he was he was uh attempting to he, I think he was attempting to woo her. Really? Is that yeah. his technique? Should yeah. I try this? As a single man, should I now try this? No. Well, perhaps not on anybody in our office. No, definitely not. No. But um yeah, it's a bit <laughs> it just seemed over the top and I couldn't figure out if if they were together and then she would be she was then cheating on him with Gregory Peck or what was going on no i th- i think he was just i think he was just in pursuit uh, of her and she just wasn't interested i like how his character whenever he talks about her he portrays her as this ice queen yeah this complete um this complete 
rock, if you like, this impenetrable mm. um, ball of hardness. Yeah. Um, but in every scene that they don't share, she wears her emotions on her face and on her sleeve yes. completely. Yeah. Like, you can always see what she is feeling. Yeah, I think that's partly because that's partly her rebuffing him. Yes, I guess so. And And, and I also think that it's partly her doing it to annoy him and to yes, ch- like so. you know to to kind of challenge him mm. there is um we, we this is also kind of about the the treatment of women i suppose uh, and uh, i'm thinking of like the treatment the treatment of bergman as an actor mm. the only doctor in this institution Wearing a white coat and glasses is the woman, just so we know and we believe that she is qualified to do her job. The That's men just true. walk around in suits. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that, but you're yeah. right. Yeah, she's the uh, she's the I I think she's the only character in the whole film who wears glasses, and she's definitely the only one in the place in a white coat. That's interesting. I hadn't even noticed that. I'm but amazed they right. didn't give her a completely out of place stethoscope <laughs> that she would never need. Yeah, That's, um, yeah. I hadn't noticed so that at all. Gregory Peck turns up. Yeah. By the way, my first note, I didn't write any notes until Gregory Peck turned up really because i was just like i was fully into this and completely baffled by it from the, <laughs> from the word go um and my first note about it was big suit tiny head because <laughs> he's wearing this massive really boxy 1940s suit with huge shoulders and his yeah. head looks minute just sort of balanced <laughs> on the top so he turns up um she immediately goes gooey for him mm. and he for her yeah to the point where the way they look at each other, I thought this was going to be they know each other from the past, but one other or both of them has amnesia and they can't quite remember it. Right. Especially the way they act. Yes. Because it is it is complete and utter true love. We're going to be together forever from first sight. Yeah, and it, I think I think that's just let's just get the the story moving. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of unbelievable. It's very yeah. hard to buy into that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, very quick. Yes. Um, he goes bonkers when she starts, like, drawing lines on the on the dinner table with a fork. Mm. He doesn't like lines and he doesn't like the colour white, which we'll get on to later. Yeah. Um, but this all kind of leads to them deciding they're going to go and have a picnic date together. Mm. And... Well, he's he's basically like, should we just bunk off for the afternoon? Yeah, pretty much. Which he's he, not that professional. No, that's the start where you kind of think, oh, there's something not quite right about him. Well, it starts even before that because he calls her in to help out with a patient, his that's first right. patient. Yeah. Um. So they go on their picnic date, uh, and there's a they go up to the top of the hill, and there's a lovely view that Bergman's looking at, and it leads to this exchange. Ham or liverwurst? <laughs> liverwurst. The way she said it, I pissed myself. Like this was the sexiest thing. <laughs> um, I'm sure. Of, I'm sure in some places liverwurst can be sexy. Or like Sweden. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I. My very next note is actually is I really like her voice. Right. Because I don't think I've ever seen a film with her in before. Oh, really? Oh, apart from Casablanca, we did Casablanca, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't really take note of them, but I really like her voice. Mm. And I, but I'm amazed she became a star in the '40s with a European accent like that. Um, well, I guess I mean, 
Whereas later on, she would have been like an action movie baddie, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. During but, that whole kind of Euro trash phase. But, but, I mean, you had people like Greta Garbo and there are others. Uh, I think, is Ida Lupino have a, an accent? I don't know. I, I think there was a much, um, there was a much, it was much more common for women to have a kind of a, an exotic accent. Yes, I suppose she was the exotic foreign beauty for yeah. American men to find interesting. Yeah. My next note, I shall read verbatim. Okay. How are these two fucked up people psychiatrists? <laughs> they I both have ju- just unbelievable issues. Yeah, well, I think most do. Possibly, yes. Um, and again, uh, yes, as I said, fall in love instantly. Yeah. Um and we get to the bit where she finds out that um, he's not who he says he is. Yes, because he has a little um, he has a little faint. Mm. He goes a bit funny in an operating theatre. Yeah, and I'm not sure why all of these psychiatrists are in scrubs about to perform an operation on somebody. Yeah, that's never made clear, is it? No, I don't know what it is they're supposed to be doing. No, uh, and he goes a bit funny and falls over. So yeah. he's taken back to his quarters and she's like, well, I will stay with him and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, and there's the the reveal that he's not who he says he is because his character is supposed to have written a book. And there's a first edition in the library. And the first edition, it says, uh, this is uh, one of 750 copies, all personally signed by the author. Uh, and she opens it up and there's his signature in there. And she has a note from him that he signed earlier. And the handwriting and the signature don't match. Yeah. And I really like that reveal. Mm. Uh, and it's also accompanied by some really good music. Yes. When he wakes up, she kind of confronts him, uh, and it's suspected that he has murdered the man he is impersonating. Yeah, which is a bit of one of it's a bit of a leap. It is a bit of a leap, and I do you know what I watched this maybe four days ago, and I yeah. can't remember how they got there. No, I think it's. Uh... Yeah I, yeah, I don't know how they make that leap. It, it is pretty much just like, hmm, he, he's not who he says he is, so therefore the person who he says he is isn't here, so they must be dead. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it leads to one of the, one of my favourite lines in the film where he's like, oh, you know, I can't remember anything. It's like it's locked behind a door. And she's like, you must open that door. And he says <laughs> with a completely straight face, I know what's behind that door. Murder. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so he runs away to the Empire State Hotel in New York. Uh, she follows, and we have a bit of a comedic scene where, in the lobby, she is trying to avoid the unwanted attentions of a lusty gentleman mm. um, and manipulates and uses the in house hotel detective, which seems like a strange job. Yeah. Uh, into uh, uh, giving up the room number of Peck's character, who is then going by the name of, is it John Brown? Yes. Yeah. Um, So their security sucks if she's able to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Gets into his room, uh, and off they do a little bit of, oh, I love you, cursory snogging, starts... They they lurch between wanting to jump each other's bones and analysing each other. Well, yeah. she's analysing him because he realises that he's a fraud. Yeah. Now he's starting to remember things. Like, he doesn't actually know this practice at all. No. 
Um, and that is used, kind of used as a device for her to explain her techniques to the audience. Yes. Because if he is a psychiatrist, then there's no point. There's a, I can't remember who it was. I heard a, um, a writer. It might have been, it might have been someone like Graham Linehan saying, um, no, it's not him. It might have been like an American kind of equivalent um, mm -hmm. saying that he had a phrase which was, yeah, I work here too, which is when one person, say a mechanic, explains to another mechanic what they're doing to a car and how to do it. Right. Or like a doctor explaining a procedure that another doctor would know to yeah. another doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And the phrase is, yeah, I work here too. Right. So, like, so yeah. you shouldn't be explaining something to someone who should know that already. So it works that he is realizes that he doesn't know this profession, and she can explain what she is doing to him to try and unlock his mind. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a good way of conveying that process that yes. is well is more familiar to audiences now, but less familiar to but audiences. A completely there. alien concept in yeah. 1947. Um, he has a burn on his hand, which comes and goes throughout the film. I noticed, yeah. um, and it starts hurting. Mm. My hand hurts, he says. To which she replies, your hand is remembering. <laughs> they get found out by the bellhop because he brings up the newspapers and her picture is on the front of the paper. Yes, that's right, yeah. For kind of aiding and abetting a criminal, on, a suspected criminal on the run. Yeah. Um, and they go and see her mentor, uh, Dr. Bruloff, who I loved. He was my favourite character in the film. Yeah, he was brilliant. I've written, there's a, uh, one of his lines I've written down later we'll get to. There's a whole load of good stuff. Yeah, he was um, a really good character. Um, and she <laughs> explains that um, during her training, mm. he analysed her. Yes. With the line, all analysts have to be psychoanalyzed by another analyst. Yes. <laughs> um, just, just to get that, right? You know, get that across. Yes. They get, they get on, they get on the Hitchcock Express. Their train. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there's a terrible edit while they're on the train, <laughs> uh, and they arrive at Brulov's house uh, with a couple of uh, policemen sitting waiting for him because I, he's. Sorry, go on. I was going to say I really like this scene because all you know is that so the housekeeper invites them in and says, which is weird. Well, not knowing them, well, no, but you know, if if he's a doc, like a a, a doctor psychoanalyst who people come to visit, she's effectively just showing them into the waiting room because they're obviously so, there but wouldn't you have hello we have an appointment oh, i don't know because I, I don't know if the housekeeper like, knows for example, if i was at your place and you were out and some bloke just turned up and i was yeah. just nipping out to the shops i wouldn't say oh just wait in the living room i'll be back in a minute and tom will be back you know that's in about true 10 that's true um, i suppose help yourself to the playstation yeah. i'm not gonna do that and that it just seemed a bit strange that she would just be letting and it's not made immediately clear it's the housekeeper. It's just no. some woman mm. letting people into this guy's house. Yeah. But it transpires he's not there. Yeah. And uh, there are two two men already waiting. And it's not... You find out that they're police officers by, by listening to their conversation. Yes. Which just gently... They're just talking about... Aren't they talking about their pension scheme or something? Something like that. Yeah, and it's just like a really ordinary conversation. One of them uh, gets, uh, yeah, and that's, no, that's not where you find that they're police. They're just two men talking about their pension or whatever, and then the phone rings, and it's for one of the guys. Yeah. And it's about the 
John Brown, as it were, case. Yeah. Uh, and the reason they're there is to talk to um, is to talk to Brulov about um, the guy who is who he has supposedly killed. Yeah, yeah. The guy the, whose identity yeah, he took. It's one of his his colleagues. Yes. You know, when when did you last see him? What you know? Yeah. Do you know what his plans were? That kind of thing. That's what they're after. But I thought it was really. Um, you know, because it could have, it, you sh- you could have just had the housekeeper say, "Oh, if you just wait in there, there are two uh, waiting there with those detectives, or waiting there with the two police officers are also waiting for it." So there, were, yeah. you know, there was an easy way to just say, "There they are," but mm. it was actually much more suspenseful to drip feed, so your audience is starting to think, "Hang on a minute, oh, are they are they police officers? They might yeah. be police officers." Uh, so it kind of puts you in that situation that the characters are in of like, oh, we might have just walked into the lion's den. Yes. Um, so I, I really liked that. I thought it was mm. a, you know, it's a very sort of Hitchcock thing to do. Yes. So Brulov gets home, mm. gets shot at the policeman. Yeah. Is very happy to see uh, mm. Bergman. Yeah. Uh, and he's uh, and she tries to convince him that this is her, this is her new husband. Yeah. Uh, and they're on honeymoon together, but the hotels are all booked up. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, "Oh, well, stay with me then, stay with me." And he sends them off upstairs with the uh, with the line, "Good night and happy dreams," which yeah. we will analyze at breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> um. So <laughs> they're in the bedroom. Yeah. Um. He starts freaking out over the bedspread, mm. which, which is, is white and has dark lines on it. Yeah. Um. And. <laughs> she bellows at him why white why lines look at the bedspread look at it remember and then he faints <laughs> yeah and then there came a bit that I didn't quite understand because mm. he goes into the bathroom yeah and starts freaking out yeah but this is the only place he's freaking out it's because there's white everywhere yeah are there not other white things around him I mean if he lays in bed and looks at the ceiling does he shit himself I don't know I don't know. It's what... not like uh, this is something that I like, wouldn't work in a color film. No, because it's black and white, and everything is like a, sh- a, a, a shade, shade of, of white. Yeah, you can't really tell what's white and what's not. But yeah. I guess it's it's. I think it's more to do with just it's like triggers. Is you it don't quantity it... of white. Well, yeah, right. you know, he practically pisses his pants looking at the sink. Yeah, but it, you know, it 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 might be for example, if you have the it, the the memories might be becoming more and more prevalent possibly yes. so so the triggers might be becoming more and more a wider range if that yes. makes sense it, it, it's not something that's a a definite yes and no this will do it this won't yeah it, it's kind of like well okay that did it last time and now this time this and this might do it mm. um so he has a bit of a funny turn yeah heads downstairs with a straight razor yeah and that leads to possibly the most Hitchcockian scene of the film. Mm, I really where, like this scene. Yeah, where he is silently, basically just, just rooted to the spot. And, and sort of seething with almost anger. And Yeah. You I know. don't understand why he likes killing psychiatrists. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, Brulov is downstairs. He's like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep, so I thought I'd do some work. Mm. Um, and just kind of keeps talking and keeps talking and like offers him a drink and the rest of it fetches him a drink and you think at any moment there's going to be a throat slashing yeah and they both uh they both take their they both take their drinks uh and it cuts to morning yeah, uh, yeah. and 
Bergman comes downstairs and finds Brulov slumped in a chair and Brown nowhere to be found. Yeah. And she fears the worst. And Brulov wakes up and he's like, oh, well, he's just sleeping on the couch over there. Mm. Uh, and they explain, he explains that he kind of uh, just kind of kept talking to keep him at his distance and then drugged him with something in his milk. Yeah. The, the, we should, I should point out that one of the best shots in the movie is when Gregory Peck drinks the milk because yes. he's handed this glass of milk and then the next shot is a POV yeah. of the psychiatrist and and this just the, you see the glass just come up and yes. empty into the mouth that would be below the camera and, and it, it is exactly as you yeah when you take a, a drink sees, yeah that's exactly what you see and it was kind of like that. I, that, I mean, it must have been an oversized glass. It must have yeah. been a huge amount of liquid to get the yeah. perspective right. But it's, it is perfect for what a human being sees yeah. when they take a, a drink from a glass of water. Yeah. yeah, and I thought, I mean, that was really innovative and really clever. So the whole morning scene, I couldn't figure it out and I hadn't had time to go back and watch it again. Mm. But until Bergman brings in the coffee yeah. that she's asked to go and get... Mm. I think the whole scene in the morning is done in one shot up until that point. Yeah, you might be right, actually. From her coming down the stairs yeah, uh, to Brulov sitting next to Brown on the sofa. Yeah. Um, and they have a chat. And then the uh, the only time I noticed the cut was when she came in with the, coffee, the tray for yeah. the coffee. Yeah. And it's like, it's about five minutes. Mm. It's a good long scene. Yeah. As, as Brulov, he analyzes him, doesn't he? Well, yes, gets him then, talking. Yeah, yeah, and then they go into the the dream, the proper analysis, which is the Dali sequence. That yeah, kind of cutting and out. It is I wrote uh, it's na- uh, it's naturally weird and unmistakably Dali. Yes, very much so. Like, nobody know. else could have designed. It's either him or yeah. someone being told do this like Salvador Dali. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, so they figure out that um, he doesn't like white very much because the murder occurred in the snow. Yeah. And he doesn't like uh, dark lines very much because that's the tracks of skis. Yes. So they go skiing, obviously. Yeah. How he didn't have a complete nervous breakdown when they went to a <laughs> ski run is well, beyond yeah. me. Absolutely. Um, I just but, before we carry on, there's a couple of things I want to point out in that scene. Uh, yeah, I didn't really. I didn't take any that. notes about the scene itself. Uh, so just before the dream sequence, there were two lines that that Brudolf says that that I thought was interesting. Uh, one is uh, one was the doctor told me not to smoke in the mornings, but I'm too excited <laughs> as he lights up a pipe because uh, he's he can see the challenge that this man presents him and mm. he's reveling in it. And then the other one is when uh, I think it might be when she's gone to get the coffee. But it's okay. It's basically Brudolph saying, "Let let me take over, because uh, you can't because you're in love." And then he kind of says to her, "A woman in love is functioning at the lowest form of intellect." Yes, which is just this massive sweeping statement to say, "Look, look, look, love, I'll take it from here because you're too emotionally involved." <laughs> <laughs> Something else I noticed, and I might have to watch it again. Or the the scenes from when Brulov turns up again. Yeah. I think the actor who plays him tries three times on camera to grab Bergman's boob. Really? Yeah. I hadn't noticed that. Yeah. He holds he holds her and puts his arm and hand at her in a very strange way where his hand will always end up on her chest and it happens three times. Right. Very strange. Um, 
my next note was, yay, rear projection skiing, which <laughs> yeah. re- just reminded me of Roger Moore Bond films. Yes. I put Gregory Peck can't act skiing. No. <laughs> He's he not. Was... To be honest, I didn't think he was that good an actor anyway. No. What's interesting was I read a bit about this. I don't know if I wrote it as a note, but I know I definitely read it. So, um, it was, I think there was a very, I, I think... Peck and Hitchcock did not get the, the they just didn't understand each other's way of working right so Hitchcock would be like you know and now you look surprised and would give him a facial expression and Gregory Peck would just do nothing because he was Stanislavski feeling it on the inside and therefore yeah. it appears on the outside um, and, and I think that just I think by this point, Hitchcock had just given up. <laughs> it's just like, fine, okay, you you do what you do. But I think actually, Peck's choices as an actor generally were actually quite wrong. Yeah, like you, he doesn't necessarily convey what you think he should be at that point. Mm. Oh, um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't think he was. He was that good at all. No, I mean, I've seen him in other things where he's great. I mean, mm. like To Kill a Mockingbird, brilliant. But yeah, Maybe this, this is just not his wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. I I think it's a, I think it's a case of of um, I think it's communi- a case of you bumping the microphone. Sorry, a, a communication between the, the director and the, the actor just not really working, yeah. uh, and uh, probably ego preventing either of them from backing down and acquiescing to the other. Quite possibly, yes. You know, um, it is revealed that there is an event locked away. In um, Dr. Gregory Peck's past, yeah, um, that he accidentally killed his brother mm. in a really brutal flashback scene. Yes, where he slides down. Um, it's not. I don't know what you call it. It's not a banister. Those concrete. It's things, a balustrade. Is it really? Yeah. When it's concrete and outside a house. Yeah, it's a balustrade. All right. All right. Well, he slides down some sloped concrete. Yeah. Kicks his brother in the back, who then flies off the end and gets impaled on a fence. Yeah, it's really shocking, actually. Especially like, that kid's what? supposed to be like nine years old yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Very shocking. I've then written a note that I can't remember what it pertains to, but I loved it at the time. It just says, the last minute bullet twist is brilliant. And I can't remember what the last minute bullet twist is. Last minute bullet twist. Oh, that's why. Yes. Okay. All the time. They've been um, under the um, uh, under the impression that um, John Brown, Gregory Peck, John Ballantyne, whatever his name turns out yeah. to be, um, shoved. Um, what's his name? The guy he's been impersonating. What is the name of that character? I don't know. I can't remember. I forgot to take it. Is it Edwards? Professor yes. Edwards? Ant- it's, it's Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards. Yeah. And I'm like, he's in this too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. The, it's always Everybody's laboured under the assumption that um, Brown shoved uh, Edwards off the edge of a cliff while yeah. they were skiing. Yeah. And that, that kind of basically or is... Or accidentally knocked him over the edge, which is yeah. what... Um, which is what um, he and Bergman think happened. Yeah. So basically it hinges on, uh, uh, you know, the police think he killed him deliberately and... He thinks uh, he killed him by accident. Uh, yeah, she thinks he killed him by accident yes. and he doesn't know. Yes. Um, and then uh, they once they figured figured out uh, 
They find the body, don't they? Well, yes, the police come in and say, we found the the body was exactly where we thought it would be, um, at the the foot of the cliff. And he's like, oh, so I'm off the hook then. Um, And they go, well, there's a small matter of the bullet we found in it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, hang on. Yes, so that that must be the last minute bullet twist I'm talking about. Um, Yes, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, She goes back to... The no, what's his name? Brown gets put in prison. Yeah, and they condense the trial down. Yeah, I like that. That was really it's a very clever. Stylized mo- montage. Yeah, and it's almost just like almost just her reaction to the to the like the pre-trial, the trial, and his sentencing yes. in like maybe half a dozen shots. Yeah, yeah, and it's and, but, it's just like a huge amount of time compressed into nothing, but in a perfectly conveyed well, way not even not just a huge amount of time that's a whole nother entire film well yeah that's compressed true, actually, into yeah. 45 yeah. seconds yeah um and they're not traditional kind of movie shots they're very obviously shot on a stage mm. with just her minimal set and things like yeah. that it's very stylized yeah mm. i like that a lot so he's in the clink mm. she goes back to the institution yeah uh to talk to uh the guy who was retiring. Yes. Um, who who uh, Edwards was supposed to replace. Yes. Who um, uh, I rec- who I knew is he was the guy who was Napoleon Solo and Ilya Kuryakin's boss in Man From U.N.C.L.E. Was he? Yeah. I don't think I've seen any of that. Really? No. That's cool. Huh. Man From U.N.C.L.E. was great. I really don't want to see the Guy Ritchie film. No. It looks like a turd. Yeah. Well, it's got, um, what's his face in it, isn't it? Henry Camel. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Superman and the Voss twins. Yeah, um, Winkle Voss twins, even. Um, so she goes back to kind of talk over her findings with him. Mm. He lets slip after everybody has denied ev- knowing what Edwards looks like. Like they've never seen this guy, which is how Peck is able to take his place. Yeah. Um. And he re- he kind of lets slip that he met him briefly. Mm. Which leads to the overdone scene of her walking away from him, going to her bedroom, and playing over the top of this repeatedly is his line about met him briefly, met him briefly, met him briefly. I briefly met him over and over again, just so you know that she's figuring it out. Um, So she goes back to try and confront him. Mm. And... um, piecing together is basically from the Dali dream. Yeah. Because there's like there's a faceless man and there's poker being played and all of this kind of thing. Um and there's my favorite exchange in the film that I had to go and write verbatim because she's reading all this out and she he's telling her what it means, yeah. what this dream means. They're talking about the the cards in the poker game and all the rest of it. And uh, she says, that makes 21. And he replies, I'd say the patient was trying to mention a locale. This seven of clubs might mean a club. Yes, she says, with the word 21 in it. There's such a place in New York. It's called the 21 Club. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, did nobody at any point in writing this film notice how stupid that exchange was? And like, could you not think of a better name for a club than the 21 Club after you got through all of that explanation? Um, <laughs> which then leads to another of my favourite lines where he says to her, you're an excellent analyst, Dr. Peterson, 
but a rather stupid woman. <laughs> yes. It's just, it's crazy. It's like you've got, you know, yeah, let's have this really good female professional character and then just, you know, but yeah, she her down get un- at every undermine turn. Undermine a couple of times, yeah. But then I guess that's what it's like, really. Yeah. Because um, she talks about, like, she confronts him with the whole thing about, you know, there will be, the police will go back and they will find um, the gun at the foot of the tree by the uh, by the ski slope. And he's like, well, that would be quite difficult seeing as it's in my hand right now yeah. uh, and points at her. Um, and then we get what you said was the uh, the FPS shot. Yeah. Um, of her walking out of the room because she reasons like there's he, he there's no way he's going to kill her. Mm. Even though she has all this evidence. Yeah. Uh, because then, you know, he would, he might be able to get away. He, well, hang on. There's some complicated reasoning. Yeah. He reasons that, you might have to help me out here, um, he can get away with one murder. Yeah. He reckons it, he can get away with two murders as easily as he can one. Yeah. But and she, she figures doesn't, that's probably not the case. No, because she she's basically like, well, hang on a minute. You, you've already got away with one because he's in prison. But yeah. if you kill me now, you are then... It is then obvious that you committed the other murder. Yes, along that, along those lines. Yeah. So she then she leaves the room, and um, with with the point of view shot of his gun in the middle of the frame pointing at her as she leaves. Um, and as she leaves the room, he realizes she's right. Yeah. Um, and the obviously fake hand turns 180 <laughs> degrees, and he shoots himself in the face. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, my note about that whole ending is, is it's like something out of Agatha Christie or an episode of Columbo, that yes. kind of big reveal. But yeah, that's pretty much the whole movie. That is the whole movie. We have described yeah. the whole of um, the whole of Spellbound yeah. in about forty minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, there are bits. There are bits I thought were really good. There were bits I thought were really terrible, and there were bits that were so. Bad, I found them massively entertaining. Yeah. Like, the, I found a lot of unintentional humour in it. Yeah. Um, I would absolutely watch it again. Yeah, I think... <laughs> and um, I might actually do that. Yeah. It, it, I Like I said when I pitched it, I wouldn't say it's in my top, top favourite Hitchcock movies, but it is one of the good ones. No, it is. A, it's, an enter- it's an entertaining diversion. Yeah. With some good stuff in yeah. it. Yeah. I'd like to... Um, one film of his that I've had on my list ever since we started, um, which is from a similar era, is also a Selznick production, is his version of Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca. Right. Because that is like, that is one of my favourite Hitchcock movies. Yeah, that's a favourite for a lot of people. Yeah, and um, that's kind of, uh, you know, this is almost like Hitchcock experimenting with what he can get away with. Right. I, I kind of feel like it's, you know, he did this movie because he saw opportunities to kind of like, oh, I could have a, do a dream sequence, could be interesting. Or oh, there's some interesting shots that we could create here. Whereas Rebecca, you've got that story, good story already strongly in place. And it and it's, you know, he's And got, it's just up to him to add the sizzle yeah, to the steak, as it were. Yeah, and it's Laurence Olivier and Joan Fontaine. So it's it's really good. But oh, we'll, we'll, well. we'll cover that on another show. I'm sure we will. Hmm. Well, as the theme of this show is Spellbound, we should yep. get on to Spellbound. Yes. Um, this is a documentary following eight kids of wildly different backgrounds in their various attempts to win the 1999 American Spelling Bee. Mm. Uh, American National Spelling Bee. Yeah. Um, as I said last week, um, 
9 million children start in the town and regional spelling bees. Um, they're all aged between kind of 11 and 13. It's that kind of... It's, it's a particular grade that does it, I think, or a mm. couple of grades that do it. Yeah. Um, 249 of those kids make the nationals, and then one of them will win. Yeah. Or as the, or as the movie puts it at the beginning, 248 of them will spell something wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, I saw this pretty soon after it came out, and I've watched it four or five times since then. I really like it as a right. film. Um, I think you get to you get to know the kids pretty well. Mm. You get to know their all of them have a wacky family. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know where to start with this actually because it's a film of two halves. The first half is explaining what the competition is and then introducing each of those yeah each eight of those children kids. and that yeah. takes forty five minutes yeah and then after that you've got forty five to fifty minutes left for the nationals yeah um, so where do we start do you think um, well I mean I kind of obviously my notes just kind of go through and they're a bit sporadic. Um, okay, because I've got kind of like sections on a small section on each of the kids, and then kind of like a bit about the movie. Yeah, if you like. Yeah. Um, it's we well, kind of we start with the first kid. We start with is all right. Let, apart, from, forget all that. Did you like it? Uh, I did like it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I still don't understand why this competition exists. Like I just, I just do not get it. I don't well, know we have how. A, we 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 have a new American in our office, so maybe we should ask him. Yeah, that's a good idea. Actually. But he's we more of a basketball guy than a spelling guy. Yeah. So, well, you never know. know. He might be good. At he spelling. might have done it. I, I, yeah. I just, I don't. It's like I don't understand the point of making spelling competitive. It just that that is such an alien concept to me. I just do not understand it at is all. Is that because you're not very good at spelling? No. It's just I just don't. Well, it's like I'm not very good at football, and I don't understand why that's competitive. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, it's like, I, I just, it just, to me, it seems like such a weird thing. And also... It's less weird to me than the idea of competitive eating, which also exists. And again, is also yeah, a largely American idea. Yeah, but I think what I find really tricky is that, okay, so when we got to the bit, okay, like you say, I'm not a particularly good speller, mm. but when we got to the, um, the, the, the nationals at the end, you kind of end up playing along because you can't help it because yeah. you as soon as someone says spell this word you kind of start to think well how do you spell that word and you know to be fair i couldn't do most of them but some of them right there's a bit <laughs> one of my favorite bit i said last week there's loads of it's lots of close-ups of like kids reacting yeah and things uh, either with relief or sheer horror. Mm. And one of my favourite shots is the kid who absolutely shits herself when she gets Chateaubriand to spell. Yeah. And it's just like, you're sitting there watching it and you think, well, hang on a minute. these So they do it in kind of rounds. Yeah. And each kid, you know, they say, okay, round one. And each kid gets a different word. And if you get it wrong, you're out. And if you get it right, you're through to the next round. So it's a yeah. very brutal... Uh, Oh, yeah, there's no three strikes in your out policy. No, it's, it's like, it's if a, you fuck up, you're gone. It's a really brutal style of competition for a start, yeah. which I think is just wrong. Um, but it's like, how do they grade the question, the, 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 the words? Because... I don't know. I was sitting there thinking, well, hang on a minute. What if you go there and it, the round, I don't know, say round one, 
248 of those words you know how to spell, but the one you get, you don't. That doesn't... Well, they kind of address that in the film. Like the, Some of the kids say, you know, after they've been knocked out, I could spell every, every other, other word, word, but the one I got was the one that tripped me. Yeah, exactly. So that seems to me really unfair because you're not actually finding... You're not actually finding the person who can spell the best. You're just finding the person who gets the words they get that they can spell. So my point being is like surely to make it fairer it should be they should be given a list of 10 words and out of that 10 words you have to be able to spell x amount. Are, you, are we going to end up redesigning the very framework of a spelling bee competition? Yeah, because the trouble is that you're putting these kids into an incredibly traumatic and stressful competition environment that is fundamentally flawed mm. because actually they might not the person who wins it has to have a fair element of luck. Yeah. So it's kind of almost like gambling as well. So you you can't... There det- is an element of luck, but then they have to have the, the skill to spell the word. Yeah, they do. But my point being... Or the is memory like, to remember how to spell the word. Yeah. So, you know, my my competition of choice as a kid was high jump. So that's a skill where, okay, you've just got to jump over a bar. But you, uh, when you do high jump, you can elect or nominate to sit out a round. Right. So that kind of puts the control in your to you rather than the people doing the thing. So, for example, if I go to a, a high jump competition and they're going to start the bar at one meter, there's no point in me doing that. Because yeah, it's a, not a challenge. No, and it's just it's, a waste of your energy. Exactly, but there's a chance that a stray shoelace or something I could slip and knock the bar off, and then I've already got one strike. And you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you also get three strikes before you're out, so you get more. You can have three goes at, at any single height. Well, how about we do a whole nother show where you thrash out how, how to, to do a make spelling a proper bee. spelling yeah. bee competition? Yeah. So that's so. That's part of my fundamental problem with this concept, mm. not the documentary, because the documentary is yeah. really good, um, is that it's a really horrible thing to do to kids. <laughs> because, you know, it's it you're, you're pressuring them to perform in an environment where their ability isn't necessarily guaranteeing that they will get to the point in the competition where their ability can get them because yes. there's such yes, a I huge see. element of luck. Yeah. So that's what seemed so kind of, and I was kind of like, if your parents are pressuring you into it, that's even worse. But mm. a lot of the kids in this were doing it because they wanted to. Some of the kids in this were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. There were some that were being pushed into it quite clearly. Um, but there, what I found interesting was the fact there was one girl who only want who who did it because she wanted to. She she was co- really competitive, and she was just like, "Well, the other things my schools do, there are people there better than me, mm. so I want to do this. I don't care about words. I don't care about spelling, but I can do it. So I'm going to do it because I want to win." And then there were other other kids that were just like, oh, I just like, I've always been fascinated by words and I've always enjoyed reading and, and all that kind of stuff. So some some very interesting approaches to it, I thought. Mm. 
But do you want to do you want to kind of go through it kid by kid if you've got yeah, a little bit about I, each I, one? I kind of wrote. Do you want to do them in order of elimination, or do you want to do them in the order they show up in the film? Uh, which whichever, because I've got I I haven't written notes specific to each child. Uh, okay, well let's do them in the order they show up at the film. So the I kind of need you to prompt me to remember who is who. Okay, the first kid uh, is Angela, and yeah. she is the child of Mexican descent from Texas. Yes. Um, and her dad is a is a ranch hand mm. for this very very old couple. Yeah, they're funny. Who are so guesty and it's unbelievable. I know those two. They are right out of a Christopher Guest movie. Like, n- neither of them can hear what the other one is saying. <laughs> no, it's She's brilliant. doing a knitting in the yeah. interview, and he comes out with this unbelievable racist, I guess positively racist line. Yeah. Where he says, they're not all bums, there's some good Mexicans mixed in with them. I know, it's just... I fucking piss myself. It's just incredible, the attitude. One thing I did notice, actually, was a lot of these kids are uh, from families of immigrants. Yes. And it, well, that's that's America in general. Well, it, it, it is. It's a country of immigrants. But, uh, yeah, it is. But what I mean by that is that, f- like, first generation. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, so it's very recent. So it's, so a lot of them feel yeah, yeah, like... Yeah, their parents still have the, their national accent. Exactly, yeah. And but it's the kind, kids don't. Yeah, so I'm kind of like, well, hang on a minute. Are they just doing this to fit in? Maybe. To, to, to feel American. Possible. All of them, all of the kids are outsider-type kids. None yeah. of them are the cool kid in school. No. No. At all. No. Um, so one thing I noticed, every single one of them mm. in their town mm. has some kind of incorrectly spelt banner of support. <laughs> really? Yep. Brilliant. Um, Angela's is, we are proud of you, letter U. Right. Um, the next kid uh, is Nupur, who's the... Uh, from florida and she's yeah. the indian girl mm. um her poorly spelt banner is congratulations nipur which is on the local hooters yes which i just <laughs> yeah that's just I amazing couldn't begin to unravel that just like how wrong yeah. and inappropriate on so many levels that is yeah the hooters are like yeah go on girl yeah um yeah. her teacher's quite guestian as well yeah that's the like d- d- she's a bit Mrs. Krabappel from The Simpsons, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that I kind of suspect she might be um, a secret nympho who hits on the dads. Yeah. Because yeah. she's, she's the one with the big hair and the short skirt, Yeah, who was probably all right 20 years ago, Yeah, but now she's teaching like 12-year-olds how to spell. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really have. I don't have massive notes about the kids. There's a her Nupur's brother comes out with a line later on. It's after she's had a particularly nerve wracking word, mm. and his line is, "If I had blood, blood pressure, it would have rocketed sky high." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. He's the one sitting on a Darth Maul inflatable chair, isn't he? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, kid number three is Ted from. Yeah, Rome, I'm Missouri. scared of Ted. Oh God, my first line about him, and I apologise if this offends anybody. He seems like he might shoot up a school one day. Yeah, yeah, he, he like. He's a heavy, he's a big kid. He's got a heavy brow. His brother, all he likes is shooting. Yeah, well, they, they don't they make he's, allusions to the, I can't remember if it's Ted or if it's his brother. They talk about, oh, we've got to do something to to kind of, you know, because all he's interested in is guns and explosives. That's, and it's that's just the like, brother, wow. Who I think they end up sending off to the army. Right. Um, yeah, he's like, he has, he has no personality. No, he's just... He's, and I didn't understand. He seemed like the slow kid in class, and I didn't understand how the hell he managed to get into the national finals of the spelling bee. And in actual fact, he's the first one of the kids we follow who's 
out. He goes out in round one or two. Yeah, he just seems... You don't really know if he wants to do it or not. No, I couldn't get any read on him whatsoever. Yeah, it's just like there's just he, there's just it nothing seems, there. It seems like he's doing it because it's there. Yeah, and it, what seems even weirder is he seems to be super intelligent, super high functioning, but just 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 trapped in the body of a troll. Yeah, it's almost like. Um, and with the and it's almost like he's a, a psychopath of one as well. Yeah. Like he's yeah he's not articulate. If he is intelligent, uh, as intelligent as he appears, he cannot articulate it. I don't know if it's that he can't articulate it. He just doesn't. Yeah, you know, it's just there's just nothing. Like you get nothing from him. You can't see an expression. You can't. He doesn't yeah. speak. And it, yeah, it's very odd. Very odd. His poorly spelt sign of support has the word champ in it, spelt wrong. Right. Chapham. Chapham. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next kid is. Uh, Emily from New Haven, Connecticut, and she is she is, for lack of a better phrase, the affluent Jew. Yes, um, and dad, I think her, her dad's English. Her dad he? is English. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she is relating a story of like this is like the third year she'll have gone to do it. Yeah. And, and she, she's the one that just wants to do it because it's a competition to win yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's also because like she's not necessarily good at any sporting type of competition. No. But this is something she can do. Yeah. Like, you know, her her intellect will help her out here where it's not going to if she's playing sport. Yeah. Um and <laughs> she has the one the wonderful I think it's yeah, she's relating something her mother said, um, where she's talking about going last year, where she's like, Oh, we need to have so and so with us, uh, our au pair and her mum replies, I don't think we're going to bring the au pair this year. Yeah. Um Next is uh Ashley from Washington DC. Yes. Which is where the um, which is where the competition is held. Mm. So you see later on, everybody else is put up in this massive hotel, yeah. uh, and she gets the bus to the competition. Yeah. Um, uh, she, I, I wrote, she's the poor black girl with high ambition. Mm. Like she has very, she is incredibly positive. Yeah. About everything. Yeah. Her situation, like her, mu- you know, her, her mum's just constantly. Not good. No, she's just like chain smoking, and yeah. it's just you know, her mum seems has quite the line, bitter about not everything. Publicizing my daughter, yeah, yeah. So she's not, yeah, you know, she's not from this great background. Her home no. life doesn't seem great, no. But she's relentlessly upbeat and positive, mm. and seems just seems like a really nice kid. Yeah. Um, there's a bit when uh, during the during the competition, she's given the word lycanthrope. Mm. And there's a close-up of her face, yeah. which is just utter heartbreak. And you can yeah. see the tears welling when she realises she doesn't know this word and is going to have to bluff her way through it. Yeah. And then the relief when she does. Yeah. Uh, it's a great moment. Um, child number six, I think we're up to. Yeah, yeah. child number six is Neil from San Clemente, California. Yeah, um, he is. Uh, I, I just my one my one line description of him is the Indian kid with the pushy father who has data and a system. Yes, yeah, that that and they the... have a very it's very complicated, very meticulous. Yeah, like there's like a ten step process he has to do. Yes, to and say a word. Yeah, and he's like, I wrote uh, the the. The family treat him like he's a cross between a computer and an athlete. Yeah. 
And they do say later on he is also athletic. Like, he's also a sporty kid too. Mm. Yeah, he does like kickboxing or something. Although he does, he does not know how to do press-ups. <laughs> um, he's 12. I know. <laughs> That's what we... I didn't, we didn't find that out till the end. It's just like, really? Yeah. Well, well, we'll talk. We'll talk about it. There's more age to talk about later. Yeah. Um, he, his whole family seem to be high achievers. Yeah. Like, his dad, uh, the, like you said, they're first generation immigrants. His dad is a self-made man. Hmm. Um, his dad and his mother, it's either his dad and his mother or his dad and his brother built their house by hand entirely hmm. by themselves. They didn't use any contractors. Yeah. And they built this huge house. Yeah, it's massive. I, yeah. I think- and like to a high standard as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things I wrote down at this point was that a lot of these seem to be migrant families in pursuit of the American dream. Absolutely. And it seems Spot to be on. that's why they're taking part in things like this, because it's a, it's an American thing to do. Yeah. Um, my favourite bit of his introductory video is they cut to his French tutor, who mm. says, I'm tutoring him in French. He doesn't take French as a subject. It's just for the French words that may show up in the spelling bee. Yeah. And and then they're like, oh, and we also employed a German teacher and a Latin. He does Latin at he school, does Latin so anyway. that's German fine. And, a Spanish teacher, uh, and we, we yeah, yeah we, we've got a Spanish tutor as well for the Spanish words. And it's just like that is ridiculous. How much money are they spending just to get this kid through a spelling bee? Yeah, um, he gets very nervous when it comes to the competition. Mm. Like he is shaking. He can barely speak to us because they're allowed to ask the uh, the. The pronouncer, I think, yeah. um, to repronounce words. They're asked to allow. They're allowed to ask for definitions and etymology and that yeah, kind and, of thing. Uh, use it in a sentence. Use it in a sentence. Um, my favourite part of his uh, journey through the competition is his dad being so happy that this Indian kid didn't get knocked out on the word Darjeeling. Yes. Yeah. I was sitting there like, really? <laughs> Come on. You must know that. Yeah, but the kid himself didn't seem to know the word. He thought it was no. Darjeeli. Yeah. Um, kid number seven mm. is April from Ambler, Pennsylvania, whose yeah. mother is the one I said last week. She's something from Office Space or a Far Side cartoon. Yeah. She has that, that tight bleached perm, yeah. big glasses, Hasn't was never in fashion, even when the clothes she's wearing were in fashion. Yeah. Um. And she she says, I, she's so proud of, I have stationery that says, be happy, B-E-E, and there's bees on it. Yeah. And it's like, she, you can't invent characters like this. You can try and you can get close mm. and you can end up with Milton. But yeah. she's just, I don't know what else to say about her. She's just a complete cartoon character. Yeah. Um, and in actual fact, I have no notes about April. No, I don't really. I just her mother and yeah. what a ridiculous character she is. Mm. Um, uh, child number eight, oh boy, is Henry from Glenrock, New Jersey. Is it Henry or Harry? Harry. I do apologise. Harry. Harry, I misread yeah. my note. Yeah. Mm. And it's not unfair to say that he is a super dork with no interpersonal skills whatsoever. No. I, I do wonder if any of these kids have been tested for like autism harry or... is absolutely on the spectrum yeah i don't uh, think there's any kind of there, yeah. there's, there's, there's no question about that uh, the, the other line i wrote about him is he is going to be a terrible adult yes yeah i th- to be honest the thing that I, that once i'd finished watching this movie the thing that i wanted most was a sequel 
to find out where those kids are now. There's a do- there's um, an article online. I can't remember if it follow if it finds all of them or just one or two of them. Right. I read something. It might have been like on the tenth anniversary of the film's release. Right. Uh, that says what they are doing now. Because that I'd turned be out. fascinated in that. Yeah. Um, these kids are now like age twenty eight to thirty. Think on yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one we haven't talked about yet mm. is kind of introduced as a reveal in the in the documentary. There's no mention of him at all until oh, he that's shows up. The, yeah, I think they don't. Uh, I'm not sure if they did any kind of like they didn't do his road to the competition. No, no. George Thampy. Yeah. From St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. Who last year placed fourth at the age of 10. Mm. It's quite clear that he has an absolute photographic memory. He is just, I can't, he looks like a toad. Yeah, in, in a in a, in a dicky bow. And I wrote, he's an autistic Indian Christian with, an inc- with two incredible speech impediments. Yeah, like yes. I can barely understand him because, like, he can't pronounce his R's and his tongue is so thick he can't pronounce his S's either. No, and I have no. I think he's let through because yeah. the the judges don't want to admit they can't understand him. Yeah, it's but, almost like. Have you, do you remember um, a really old episode of The Simpsons where Bart goes to the doctor and they give him all of the things they need to correct? Like yes. they give him really thick glasses, yes. they give him braces, and they, g- right. they slick his head. He basically they basically turn Bart into, into George, George Thampy, yeah. yeah. But he is kind of like he's almost the villain of the piece. <laughs> yeah, because he's, the he's like this thing there is this sort of menace. Yeah, I want to describe him as a ringer, but that's not quite right because he's not no. affiliated with the competition. But no. he's like this incredible, incredible kid who, like, when he spells out a word. In between every letter, he has to blink and lick his lips. Yeah. And it's so, it's so weird. Yeah. And overall, he's a very weird child. Like, he and Harry can't meet because there will be, like, a black hole will form. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he goes up a place this year. He finishes third overall at the mm. age of 11. Yeah. Which is just mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, that's all I've got about the individual kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we should talk a bit about the film itself, yeah. I think. Um, it's <laughs> it's not brilliantly shot. It's all four by three and kind yeah. of almost quite televisual. Yeah, it I probably do kind of, was a television production to start that, with. Yeah, that's kind of what I think. Because, I, I mean, late 90s, pretty much the only... Like the only things that I guess Michael Moore was really the like one of the few people that was making documentaries cinema, for documentaries. cinema. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know there were there were obviously others, but I mean, it, at that time, if you were going to make a documentary, your prime outlet would be TV. I would think. Yes, definitely. So yeah, I kind of felt that's probably what it was made for. But then when somebody, they realised what they had, bought it and released yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked how they managed to get an interview with the winner of the first national from nineteen twenty-five. Yeah, that's amazing. They did. There was a whole. There's a whole bunch of interviews of previous winners. Yeah, uh, and uh, like the guy who's sitting with his three kids saying, "Yeah, I didn't think this was going to do anything for my burgeoning love life at the time." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, there's something going back to the 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 fact that this is a very American thing. Yeah, 
uh, there's a bit uh, Emily's dad talks about uh, when she's saying that she wants to do it because she wants to win. He kind of says that's a very there's a there's a distinct difference between American and European attitude towards competition. Yeah, and and that it is about for a lot of them it's about the winning, and you know they're doing it to win, and that's kind of what's what's being ingrained in them mm. which is very like I, get, like I say it's just such an alien concept to me mm. my my kind of like overall final notes was it made me realize that spelling is overrated <laughs> uh as uh as a grammarian i would disagree yeah uh, communica- communication is not dependent on correct spelling and therefore it is utterly pointless uh no, I think correct spelling, <laughs> punctuation and grammar can absolutely help uh, because if you spell something wrong, uh, you can end up completely changing the meaning of your sentence. Yeah, but, you know, as long as people get the point, it's fine. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. We will agree yeah. to disagree. Fine. Um, I've got a script of yours I need to proofread. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, are we going to tell people who won or are we just going to get people? Do, do you think people should watch this? I definitely think people should watch it. I, um, it's on Netflix UK and Ireland, by the way, so it's very yeah. easy to watch if you live in the UK or Ireland. Yeah, I think it's because it's a very engaging thing to watch. It's very, it's interesting just watching these these characters. Mm. Um, it's fascinating. I, I think it's fascinating seeing how much pressure and stress parents put on their kids without necessarily realizing they're doing it like Mm. i don't think neil's father quite understands just how far and hard he knows he's pushing him hard and he's trying to teach him a lesson and like when neil doesn't i think neil comes eighth doesn't he overall which is good uh i have um oh uh, possibly i just put the order there out in yeah i think he comes around so he comes in the top 10 but yeah he is the he is the he's we've we follow eight kids and he is the fifth of the ones we follow to yeah to, to fall out and and his dad is quite like really pleased with where he came yeah i mean the other thing we didn't talk about and the extra pressure put on neil is that his his grandfather in india has said that if neil wins he'll feed five thousand people Oh, yeah, something like that. And he's yeah, and spent it, a shitload of money to get a, the whole village to pray for him. Yeah, and it's just like, do they realise what they're doing to that boy? And I think it's kind of, it's it's interesting to watch it from the outside. Mm. But I think uh, he, Neil in particular, will go one of two ways. He'll mm. either rebel against it completely and become yeah. like a complete fuck up, or yeah. he, is go- he is going to be a CEO and rule us all. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. I wonder what 28, 29 year old Neil is doing now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it is fascinating. That's spellbound and spellbound. Mm. Before the pitches. Yeah. Uh, le- leading up towards our final reveal at the end of the show. Yeah. Should we tell people what our film is called and what it's about? Yeah. Okay. So our short film is called Barry and it follows Barry who uh, we said is a part time cleaner and a full-time puzzle enthusiast um, who discovers a mystery during his shift one night and sets out to solve it. Mm. That's it. That's that's the pitch you're getting. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I don't know what else to say about it, really. No, it's not very long. About eight minutes. Uh, Stars my mate Andy, who I've known for like 11, 12, about 13 years now. Yeah. uh, Who's a a professional actor. I'm very good at it. Mm -hmm. Um. 
And should we talk about why we made it and how we yeah, made it? Yeah, that's probably a good or? idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be a long show. It is. That's fine. We haven't done a long show like this for a, long, for a no, while. No, that's so true. That's fine. But we've had a lot to say about both of the films as well. Yeah. Both of the, the pitches. So mm. do you want to talk a bit about The House and the Wise? And- yeah, so the re- we haven't made a short film for a long time. In fact, over 10 years. Yes. And um, we used to do it a lot. Yeah. And- we made like half a dozen together. And it would be, we'd do like one a year or two a year. Yeah, and you know, do we, we we work in video production and we work in that kind of thing. So we're using cameras all the time and we're editing all the time. We have access to all this stuff. Yeah, so yeah. we basically have it all at our fingertips to make a short film. We just never did because we were busy. So we decided that actually we wanted to start making a narrative short film again, write something, um, and and just crack on with it. So we decided to have a think about what we had access to what we could do and what effectively we could shoot in a weekend. So we kind of gave ourselves a few constraints, wrote a script and then just decided to well, have a go at it and just get back into the You pretty feel much of nominated a weekend because uh, yeah. our manager is our producer. She's produced short films before and wanted to get back yeah. into doing it. And this was kind of like also um, a, a test, if you like, to see if the three yeah. of us could work together. Like, like us two as writers and directors and her as a producer. Yeah. Um, and you basically went, what are you doing on this weekend? Mm. And I said, nothing. And you went to her, what are you doing on this weekend? And she said, nothing. And you just went, right, we were making a film. Yeah. Because we've uh, been we talking like about it for ages. Four weeks lead time? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. So yeah. we had to write something around what we had or what we could get yeah. in that time frame. And so we ended up shooting it in our office building. Mm. Uh, simply because that was a very controllable environment. Yeah. Uh, and it's somewhere we are every day. So we know it's ins and outs. Uh, and even before we start setting up, we know where we can fit a camera. Yeah. Because even if we're not shooting in there, we are carrying a camera up the stairs or through the corridors or into mm. the studio or into the green room or into the kitchen. So we have yeah. a rough idea of how it's going to fit in there. Mm. Um, and... Oh, fuck, my mind's gone blank. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was just a case of of thinking, right, we've actually, let's just set a date and let's just do it because if we don't, we'll never get round to it. We need to we need to be doing this stuff again because mm. that's what we enjoy doing. That's what mm. we set out to do when we started on our career paths. So, yeah. you know, let's just get out and do it. And so this, I suppose, in the same way that, you know, Robert Rodriguez thought, I'm going to make a practice movie in El Mariachi. It just happened to go off and do amazingly well. Yeah. We decided, let's just get back into it, do a practice. And, you know... If it turns out to be crap, nobody has to see it. Exactly. And if it, if we think it's all right, we'll, we'll, we'll do something with it. And yeah. we decided that, you know, short films you tend to, to make to put into competition or to, to send to festivals and stuff. And we decided, let's not do that with this one. Let's just put it up online so people can watch it and, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll think more about competition festivals, stuff like that with the, the next, next one's one. one. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the next one, if we don't feel that, we might just put that online or we might hide it or whatever, you know. So <laughs> we'll just um, see how it goes, I think. Yeah. Um, we should say it is a one-man silent comedy. Yeah. Um, there is no dialogue whatsoever. Uh, so it works in any language. Um, and I cast Andy to do it. I asked him to do. I wrote it with him in mind to start with, mm. um, 
and he was cast to do it because I saw him do a one-man stage show in a very small theatre. Mm. Um, and I knew him as... He was the website guy for a, a company, in inverted commas, that I worked for. Mm. Um, and I knew him by his nickname there, um, and he was like the silly party guy. But kind of... We just we got along, but our personalities were comp- kind of completely different. Mm. And he was this wacky kind of guy. And then I went and saw him do this show. Mm. I hadn't seen him for years. Saw him do the show, and I was absolutely blown away by his range. Uh, he wrote it as well, and mm. it's two halves of about thirty or forty minutes each, mm. uh, and each uh, sort of surrounding the same character, but in different situations. And each half is a twenty, thirty, forty-minute rhyming monologue. Wow! Um, that he wrote, mm. um, and I was just completely pinned to the wall by all of it the writing mm. um the 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 minimalist minimalism of the set and how he was communicating all of this and his acting uh, and when we met in the bar afterwards i said i don't know what it's going to be but we i am going to be making a short film at some point within the next year and you have to be in it and he mm. said absolutely i'll do it wherever it is yeah and then when i sent him the script he just went oh, i'm going to do this we i will yeah, we're going to yeah. work on this together. Yeah. Um, and it was a good yeah. experience as well, actually. It was good for us to direct a proper actor rather than each other for a change. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it, I can remember you I remember you going to see that play and coming back. I remember the next day when you were telling me about it and how, how blown away you were by it and yeah. thinking, all oh, right, okay, well, you know, that's something that in the past we always made short films with us and our mates in. Mm. So some it was, who could act, some who couldn't. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and this time I think it was like, oh, okay, let's see you know what what we can do and you know because mm. he also hadn't done role. much film stuff he'd done a lot of stage work but hadn't done much film stuff no. so he was kind of chomping on the bit to do that as well yeah uh, and it worked out really well i think for all yeah. all concerned absolutely yeah so that's enough about our endeavors mm. uh for now you'll get the link at the end of the show keep listening uh yeah. now you have to listen to the pitches yes uh would you like to go first i will go first mine's going to actually be quite short which will make a change oh, okay in this show um I'm going to pitch you a documentary that I just happened to stumble across on Netflix the other week. Um, My wife and I went through a real little phase of watching a load of documentaries. Mm. Uh, Usually uh, they tended to be about a, like about people, about a specific person and they're quite almost like their life story. Um, But this one was particularly intriguing and interesting and entertaining. Um, It's called Super Minch, the legend of Shep Gordon. Okay. Uh, it was made in Flash, Flash's brother. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was made in two uh, thousand and thirteen. It was made by uh, Mike Myers and Beth Arla. Um, and as in Mike, the Mike Myers. As in the Mike Myers. Okay, just checking. Yeah, um, and he's been trying to make this documentary for twenty years. Okay. Uh, since the early nineties, um, and f- Shep. Gordon finally allowed him to do it. Um, I'm not really... Get, I'd never heard the name Shep Gordon before watching this film. I had no idea what it was about or who he was. Um, I'm not going to tell you anything about him. Neither. All, right. uh, all I'm going to tell you is the fact that he uh, pretty much became a mainstay of Hollywood, the music industry, and... Uh, 
the culinary world seemingly all by accident right. and by chance. Okay. It, it is an absolutely phenomenal story of being in the right place at the right time. Right. And uh just having a having a skill set of not really having a skill set. <laughs> and how just, I like to think of myself sometimes. But yeah. Yeah, I haven't ended up with a like uh, never-ending luck. I think he's just basically the ultimate people's person. Oh, that's definitely not me. That would explain things. Yeah. Um and you know, people who take part in this movie to talk about Shep are people like Sylvester Stallone, Michael Douglas, Alice Cooper. So um, nobody's then. Dana Carvey. <laughs> Julia Child, Billy Crudup, uh, Sally Field, Mick Fleetwood, uh, William Hurt. Uh, it just goes on and on so and it has on. A, it has Mike a better Myers cast than it. most movies. Yeah, Willie Nilsson is in it. Um, it. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. My stepdad was communicating on Facebook with Willie Nelson recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's just bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, it's it's massively entertaining um and just absolute it's just a phenomenal story of this guy's life really um so yeah i just i'd I'd be interested to see what you think about it i definitely want to watch it again before we do the recording okay and how Um, can i see this uh it is on uk netflix marvelous i think we should start pointing out when 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 and where people can see the films we uh, yes i always mean to but i I forget uh Um, yeah this one's definitely on uk netflix i think it might actually be i think it's one they're classing as a netflix original so therefore it might be on most of the platforms um although i you know i think it's something they've bought in and are calling a netflix original they do they do that with a lot of stuff yeah yeah so it it should be readily available marvelous not just netflix uk uh, I've got an app that tells you tells you where films are available. Oh, right. Um, uh, USA, Argentina, Mexico, UK, Luxembourg, Belgium, Costa Rica, Brazil, Panama, Ireland, Netherlands, and France. Oh, right. Quite a lot then. So if you're in any of those places or have access to any of those feeds, you can, uh, you can watch it. Cool. To show the diversity of this show, um, I am going to pitch you the film a film that I wasn't going to pitch you at the beginning of the week. Right, okay. Um, and that is very different to the documentary you've just pitched to me. Cool. Uh, I, we, we were kind of running out of time getting towards this recording of this show. Mm. Um, and I watched something that's been on my list to pitch you since before we started. Right. And I wrote notes about it. And in the end I thought, uh, yeah, I can do that. We may still do it. Yeah, but I didn't have the yes, 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 got to do it feeling I thought I had when I wrote the list. Mm. Um, and I thought, well, if I can find something else in the meantime, then we'll do that instead, right, maybe. Okay. Mm. And then last night I watched a, a new film for the first time, mm. and you're getting that instead okay. because I absolutely loved it. Okay, um, it's a very small Australian film. Yeah. Made for a total budget of two million five hundred and thirty thousand and seventy one dollars. Right. Very specifically. Yeah. Um and it's called The Babadook. Oh right, yeah, I've heard of it. I remember seeing the posters for this mm. on the underground. Yeah. So the premise is uh Amelia is a stressed out widowed single single mother mm-hmm. uh and her demanding six year old son Sam, neither of whom are sleeping well. Right. find a pop-up book in Sam's room and read it as a bedtime story one night. 
The book is called Mr. Babadook, mm. and it's a rhyme about a scary supernatural being. Right. Once you're aware of the Babadook's existence, it will torment you. And once it scared you, you can see it. Right. Well, now they know it exists. Right. So there's your pitch. Okay. Um, I, I've wanted to see this since I heard about it. It got rave reviews. I'm having a look now. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, 98%. Wow. Um, it, yeah, it got just amazing reviews across the board. Um, mm -hmm. I was completely absorbed by it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. because it's a horror film completely grounded in reality. Right. To start with, at yeah. least. Like, it's not... You believe these people are real people. Like, I've known stressed-out single parents like this. Right. I've known difficult kids like this. Yeah. And I still do know difficult kids <laughs> like this. Um, the performance of the lead, Essie Davis, um, is great. Uh, it's an amazing showcase for her range. Right. Um, and I had to look her up on IMDb afterwards, and I thought she was kind of new. She might be her late 20s, like maybe in her 30s. She's 45. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so I guess she's had this whole career in Australia, and nobody outside of that knows about it. Mm. Although I think I, she was in a couple of, like, large-ish movies. Right. Um, but this, yeah, this is, like, this should be her showreel. Okay. Because she gets to do everything in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kid is pretty good too, mm -hmm. like for a six, seven-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. I want to watch it again right. before we do this and take kind of more comprehensive notes okay. because I did something I never do, which mm. was I watched the film completely and then I wrote notes afterwards once I realized it was going to be a pitch. Right, Because okay, usually yeah. I'll watch a film. It's usually something I've seen before and I will yeah. pause it and I'll take notes as I go. Yeah, so like, I mean, I, 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 I do that quite often because I haven't written any notes for for Supermensch because I didn't know I was going to pitch it when I watched it yeah uh, on a technical level uh, mm. the cinematography is great the editing is great uh, but one of my favourite things technically is the sound design okay um, and I think you should probably plug in the 5.1 for this one if you can okay yeah we'll do um, yeah so I, I think when it comes to horror sound design is probably the most yeah. important element if if not, if anything actually yeah and they, they absolutely nail it in this film right. Um yeah, uh, I'm not a massive horror fan. No. Uh, but I really, really like this. Okay. Um, cool. You all right? Yeah, yeah, I was just saying cool. Oh, I thought you went, ooh. That's no. a funny noise at the end of the line. Um, Netflix regions this is available on. Uh, Japan, UK, Argentina, Panama, USA, Ireland, Mexico, Brazil, and Costa Rica. Yeah. So, that's The Babadook. Excellent. Uh, and Supermensch. The Legend of Shep Gordon, which we'll be tackling yeah. next week. Cool. Plugs and thanks or link? How long do we make them wait? Oh, let's do the link. All right. Okay. Let's... So the link to watch our um, one-man silent comedy short film is quite easy. You don't have to. You don't have to. It's not YouTube.com in a series of numbers. We created a link specially so we could read it out on the show. Yep. It's a bit.ly link, uh, so it's bit.ly slash watchbarry. Bit.ly slash watchbarry. And watchbarry yep. is all one word. There's no hyphens or underscores. Yep. So one more time, bit.ly slash watchbarry. Um, and that is exclusive for anybody listening to this podcast to watch for the next week or two weeks. We haven't decided yet. Yep. Um, but because we wanted to do 
because it's a Have You Seen production and because we wanted to do something for our listeners, yeah. especially because of the massive gaps we've had to take this year in between shows. Yeah, it's, um, that's been bad. We were, I, I, if you like it, it's a reward. If you don't like it, keep your opinion to yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. yeah, we wanted to do something for you. So you get this, this, this Tom's favourite phrase, window of exclusivity yeah. uh, to watch our film. Uh, and feel free to write to us. We've disabled comments on YouTube, but feel free to write to us and tell us what you think about it. Um, yeah, it'd be great. All, all uh, feedback is welcome, even if you hate it. All yeah, feel, feedback is welcome. You can you can send us messages via email, Facebook, or however you wish, and we will read out the most effusively complimentary. Yes. Right. So, the last thing we have to do on a show is, oh god, I've done something wrong. What? Oh shit! Hold on, iPad, iPad problems. No, not. Uh, I'm searching for the note with the plugs and thanks in it. Right. I hit the. Uh, I typed in PLU and hit the wrong one. And I got the phone number for my plumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, don't ring your plumber. No, I'm not going to ring the plumber. So, if you have seen the Babadook or Supermensch Legend of Shep Gordon, and once you have seen uh, Barry, bit.ly/watchbarry, uh, you can let us know on Twitter. We are at hys podcast. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash haveyouseenpodcast. The website is haveyouseen.net and the email address is podcast at haveyouseen.net. We do have a YouTube channel. We've just put a short film onto it, um, although you can't get to it this way. But the channel is youtube.com slash hyspodcast. We like shares and likes on Facebook, particularly if you show posts, retweets on Twitter, again, especially if you show tweets, reviews and ratings on iTunes, especially those with lots of snowflakes, and your pitches for new films and reviews of stuff we've covered. Thank you to all of you for listening, especially if you've done any of those things. Um, no need to thank Upbeat Productions for the use of the studio because I'm in my bedroom and Tom's in his study. Thank you to Alexia Mom for his technical expertise and thank you to Nicola, the social media manager, for managing the social media. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, wow. We have gone over an hour and a half, I think. Wow. It'll be about an hour and a half by the time the editing is done, which is our yeah. longest show in forever. Yeah. Um, so I shall, I shall close this epic yep. with... If it's in a word or it's in a look, you cannot get rid of the Babadook. Perfect. Think about that while you're sleeping at night. <laughs> while you're sleeping at night, before you go, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> we're done. Goodbye. Yeah, we're done. Bye. <laughs>